Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. What weapons do Ukraine need right now? What are the urgent needs? What are the strategic needs? We will talk about this with Alina Frolova, who is deputy head of board of the Center for Defense Strategies, a Ukrainian think tank, and also a former deputy defense minister. Hello, Alina. Hi, good evening or good morning. Thanks so much for coming and for joining this podcast. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org and host of this Explaining Ukraine podcast. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spent a big amount of your support, your donations to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian resistance. So let's start. What weapons do Ukrainians need? Because Ukrainians are going to the world all the time since February and uh, and are saying, give us weapons. Is it is it really that, that urgent need? And what exactly do we need? Well, I think that it was a very right approach from the very beginning to make such kind of urgency because what uh, when we entered the war, actually we had the situation when we still have most of weapons was uh, post-Soviet uh, type. And uh, actually, uh, especially like uh, very brightly it's seen with artillery, where we have a, div- a different calibers. So uh, the Ukraine has as much weapons as it has in the beginning. And no one was, frankly saying, prepared to such a massive conventional war. Therefore, we have very limited artillery, very limited uh, ammunition. And at some day, it should end up because um, uh, most of these uh, weapons and equipment were produced or in Russia or in post-Soviet countries. And uh, all those uh, enterprises which were on the territory of Ukraine were or shelled, bombed, destroyed, or they even didn't have such a huge capacity to increase the production immediately for hundreds of pieces. Uh, therefore, we need uh, urgently to look for some kind of other solution. And that was obvious solution. Uh, ask for different type of weapons of NATO standards because many countries in Europe and in US are producing the proper equipment and uh, uh, the most concerns we've heard that you cannot use it because you never was as skilled for this and you didn't have a training but how all this period showed that the training of one week was quite substantial and quite enough for our army to to do the to, to make the switch and now we see results and really uh, shouldn't we be so intense and some kind of aggressive from the very beginning in requesting this weapon we could fit into the period when we don't have uh, artillery at all for example or armed vehicles and that could lead us to very bad results because even with bravery, with uh, motivation, we have uh, to uh, like a just army, uh, just light weapons cannot uh, protect ourselves from Russians. Do you understand correctly that uh, at the at the beginning of the war we were supplied with like little things for for soldiers like javelins? Uh, you can be a, a very very big threat for a Russian tank with a javelin, right? But this is rather defensive weapon, rather for a partisan war when you see a column of tanks approaching and you just shoot it. Or uh, you have like uh, stingers uh, against against the 
air targets. But now what we are asking is the high-precision artillery and uh, long-range artillery. Is that true? And why, why do we need it? Well, really, that's true uh, because... Uh, we as a center, the think tank, starting to uh, spoke to our, started to speak to our partners, like one year before, with recommendation to have, for example, storages in Poland, and to put on the storages uh, weapons and ammunition and uh, some equipment to be ready. Uh, no one take it seriously. Um, no one take it seriously, even in uh, like a few months before the war. Inside and Ukraine. Or outside. outside also. I mean that I don't know why, but I think that this is the huge question to the strategic planning approach, which happened to be in Western countries, in NATO countries, because actually most of the intelligence services were reporting quite precise picture of what will happen. And that was about the conventional war and that was about the massive attack from different directions. But no one of planners inside the ministries, inside these like uh, uh, policy-making bodies, made any plans for this. So the only plan was uh, uh, basically that Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian army won't be capable to protect because the Russian army prevails in numbers, like massively prevails. Uh, that is why the biggest accent was made for partisan war. Actually, this is what they planned, that Ukraine will be quite fast occupied and then um, the partisan or common resilience will start. And that is why stingers and uh, all these type of weapons were like uh, uh, started to be delivered because actually it was like a more targeted to equip the potential territorial defense and partisan than the regular army. Um, and only when they saw that situation is not like this, that it was a strategic mistake, huge strategic mistake with evaluation of the uh, capabilities of our army, of forces which we could collect, uh, the number of resilience, numbers of, uh, numbers which uh, about the support of Russia and so on. Negotiations on further weapons started. But for many countries, that's like a critical broke up in their policy on which they were like a, for years, for example, like Germany, decades, they were based, they grow up, all their political class, they grow up on the one policy, which means like a, a peace, no weapons supply, and so on and so forth. So for them, this is like a huge transformation in political life. And for them, it took time. And you see that with each new, um, let's say, announcement or supply, we got more and more advanced and more and more uh, like a serious weapons, let's say. So, because in the beginning, no, everyone says, yes, uh, just some uh, like a, uh, border protection, yes, but no uh, artillery. Then, yes, artillery, but no long-range artillery. Then, yes, you got long-range artillery, but no air defense. Now, uh, obviously, we have the uh, ships, uh, we have uh, air defense, we have boats. So that's like a situation awareness, a lot of radars. Situation completely changed from the point of view of the perception and understanding of what's going on. And when political decision already made, of course, supplies, it's a deal, especially for some European countries like Germany. That's like a huge deal to, to make a supply after the decision making. But still, uh, the political decision step by step growing. And so we see now, finally, we see really uh, substantial weapons which are arriving on the front line. But it happened only like a few weeks ago. It started to be obvious. 
There is a lot of talks about the new Ukrainian strategy uh, or tactics is that we are targeting the uh, ammunition stocks and there are lots of, you know, we are in the, in, in the media, we see explosions today, I think, and yesterday we, we saw explosions in Nova Kachovka. Then there were... Very, very nice one. Yes, yeah. very, very big one, yes. And explosions in... Uh, I think it was in Popasna, also in in Melitopol. I think it's already more than 20 for the last yeah. few days. So newly, mostly newly occupied territories, not mm -hmm. the Russian mm -hmm. territory, but Ukrainian newly occupied territories. Not only Donetsk, uh, also and some other cities which are under occupation from 2015. And the tactics is to target these ammunition stocks uh, to kind of uh, slow down the... Uh, the Russian artillery attack because the situation in the front line, as far as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Russians are just very heavily shelling with artillery. This is a very distance war. And uh, and then, of course, it is difficult to for, for our soldiers to, to survive. But uh, targeting these ammunition stocks just makes this uh, fire less intense. And that's uh, why we need HIMARS, for example, for this. Is it true? Well, uh, uh, just to remind, I'm not the military expert, so I cannot make the military evaluation of the strategy and operation. But from what I know, uh, that's really like this. And frankly saying, nothing new uh, under the skies, because uh, actually this is the tactics which uh, comes out from the any uh, conventional war, like a Second World War, when you, first of all, you need to destroy the supplies and logistics. Uh, logistic route and supply with, uh, with, for example, routes, it's more difficult because, uh, well, to harm seriously railways, for example, or roads, it's, it's quite difficult because you can restore them uh, quite fast. But to target ammunition, uh, to target the uh, troops units which are located and especially commands uh, and uh, command points where the command of the operation is located, that's the tactics which gives uh, you prevailing even if you're losing in numbers like uh, Ukrainians. And uh, I think that's not the change of the tactics, but that's like... Um, we started to receive the equipment and weapons with which we can implement these tactics. Obviously, from the very beginning, what I, from what I saw, the Russian army um, makes very classical and old-school operations. And Ukrainian army from the very beginning actually was targeting like uh, backside and logistics, but we didn't have enough long-range artillery, we didn't have enough uh, people equipped, so that was a problem. And I think that so bright implementation of this approach is just about uh, the uh, resultativeness of the weapons which was delivered. What is the role of these HIMARS? Because there is a lot of talk about this. Is that, do I understand correctly that it is very high precision artillery and we can, and it, it, it can be, it has GPS coordination, so it can be very, very targeted. Uh, yes, this one, this first, the second, it's quite fast. Yes, the problem with all this post-Soviet artillery and equipment is that most of this is like, a, because uh, it requires a lot of manual, uh, like a, um, uh, sh uh, the, the ammunition supply, it takes time. And with artillery, the biggest problem is that you need to make a precise or multiple fire. Um, and uh, then to move out the equipment because otherwise you will got the fire back. 
and uh, with classic one that like it takes time to prepare it to shooting and to uh, make the afterwards the uh, movement of equipment. With HIMARS you can just come, uh, make the very precise shooting. You don't need so much ammunition. You have automatic systems which are resupply and you just move out. And that takes like a minute, uh, uh, sometimes even less. And uh, that's quite difficult to uh, target it uh, from the Russian side, especially taking into consideration that they have less and less uh, sharp, sharp, precise, uh, high precise uh, artillery and high precise weapon, because you see what they do. They just do the massive coverage and uh, compensate this uh, with like a, just the number of uh, shellings they do. Russians are claiming that they destroyed a couple of HIMARS. Uh, I guess this is a disinformation. What we can say about this? Well, uh, in this regard, I'm just like I recommend to uh, follow the our general staff uh, information, armed forces information. What they said that this is not true, and let's let's see for the next days to see whether we see uh, all this uh, storage uh, destruction and so on. So, based on the last night, I should say that they're working. Is there a, a feedback with the with the Western suppliers? Because now we see in the information space. I think very, very dangerous messages coming. Some of them are coming from uh, from politicians, American politicians. Let's not name them, but uh, those who are know the situation know whom I'm talking about. And the message is that uh, okay, we don't, we don't actually know when we supply heavy weapons to Ukraine. We we don't have a oversight, control over over the uh, over the over, over where they go, etc. What we, what can we respond to that? Um, I think my feeling is that uh, the official um, bodies, official agencies, they don't have these questions. I mean, the Pentagon and all the other who really in operational supplies of weapons. Because actually and obviously we cannot have now the, like uh, this uh, ideal system of... Uh, um, you know, database where it was used, how it was who used, who received the, uh, the ammunition and so on and so forth. But uh, there are some methods of control and I'm absolutely sure that uh, I didn't hear such a concerns from official uh, spokespersons in the States and it means that they don't have it. Uh, politicians, okay, yes, uh, from one point of view, that's good that they are asking because this is the principle of uh, civilian oversight and they have right to ask. Of course, that can be used by the Russians against, uh, like, a trying to attack massively in information space, this uh, readiness and ability to supply. Uh, but I don't see yet that this is a serious problem for Ukraine. Yes, there are some voices like this, but uh, most of them like, are quite weak and they are overcome with uh, some other messages. Uh, however, we should still be watching this and working with this and just like explaining. And I think that why military do not ask this also, because the military perfectly understand the level of brutality and conventionality of this war. Because uh, somewhere in Europe or somewhere in states, you cannot understand what's going on in here. And principally, the uh, modern world never faced such an intense uh, warfare in the 70, last 70 years, years after the Second World War. So that's not quite clear for civilian persons uh, how, how it 
how it's going on, especially if you are not here and never saw the level of the brutality of this war. We talked about Heimers. Another another topic is Howitzers. You mentioned Germans, and uh, uh, it seems that the German Howitzers are already on the front line. This Panzer Howitzer is that true? I don't know. Again, I'm I'm just here uh, basing on the official information which armed forces are providing. If they are like a posting pictures of them working, yes, that's true. If they are not posting, okay, we can just guess. What is the role of Howitzers, of these uh, German ones, the uh, French ones, the Caesars? Uh, why why are they important? Long-range artillery and more precise artillery, yes, so that's that's the issue. And um, I think that uh, the, because you remember that Russians has the artillery which is coming to like a 50, sometimes 70 kilometers, we have 20 and we have lack of it, yes. So even if uh, with supply of the not, not so uh, long range, but like a mid-range artillery, we've been at least in making some kind of balance. That is why. Plus, of course, all this modern equipment is more uh, uh, precise, is more fast, is uh, easier to operate, uh, which is like crucially important for now. And um, uh, there is also one component which could be interesting for our partners and obviously is interesting for militaries, uh, that most of this equipment never faced the serious war. I mean, this is some kind of testing ground. You have been producing something for uh, years, uh, putting a lot of investment in this and never knew how it works in like a hard operation mode. Now everyone can see, they can uh, work with mistakes or they can work with improvements. And again, there is uh, like a information which was never confirmed by the official um, voices from Ukraine, but many experts are referring to it that Ukraine also make here a lot of innovations in artillery warfare, which happening now, starting from the special applications for the artillery uh, personnel, military personnel who can use it and make this uh, distributed artillery uh, shorts when we don't have to put all the artillery in one place, not to make it a uh, target for our enemies, uh, but to make it so efficient like like uh, and very concentrated. So there is like uh, Ukrainian capabilities which are uh, backgrounded in our IT capabilities on our inventions and uh, which can uh, support the uh, foreign weapons and which can make it better and which can show the weak and strong points. And that's very, very big um, uh, result and a return of investment, let's say, for our partners. So these uh, these types of artillery are coming. Uh, what does Ukraine need more? What What is our priority right now? Because you were talking about armored vehicles. As far as I understand, this is also the way for bringing soldiers back and forth. And there is a huge problem for the seas, right? The the Black Sea is still blocked. We cannot do anything about it. We cannot, we cannot really export our grain. What we need? Um, the list is more or less stable for, for some period already, yes. What we need, yes, this is artillery. This is uh, multi-launch rocket systems. This is uh, the situational awareness, everything which is... Uh, electronic warfare, uh, everything what is about the electronic warfare is very important. 
Uh, and of course, this is C. This is one of my favorite component. And I think that we underestimate everything what happened for the last period in Black Sea. Actually, Russian lost their uh, like a prevailing position there. So we are not winning, but they are not winning already too. Because of the Moskva, because of because the Serpentine? Because of everything, yes. Mm -hmm. So th that was a, like a step by step, uh, but uh, the, the, the actually they lost already. I mean that, yes, they still keep in a lot of uh, forces there. Uh, they still have the uh, weapons, they still use the rocket launchers for to Ukraine, but they already cannot control the sea. And that's the huge, huge step, uh, which was made, by the way, with the absence of our Navy. And uh, the, this is also a question about the contemporary war. Yes, how it should be done. Because you see that we having no Navy still can harm substantially Russian Navy being on the sea. And uh, that's because of uh, um, air defense, which they cannot install because the Moskva actually was bearing the air defense systems, which should cover like a quite substantial range there, but they cannot. Uh, they lost part of the situational awareness because they lost radars and they cannot cover all the all the sea like it was before. When these uh, gas shelves were like uh, shooted, uh, gas towers, so that was uh, huge also importance because actually there were a military base there. And if you will have a look at the map, there was a Crimea, then was these gas uh, towers, then was a Snake Island. And the, um, uh, the actually the between them, not so big, uh, um, not, not so big uh, the distance, yes, and they can cover with all this component, all this like a seaside of the Ukraine. What they lost now, Snake Island, they lost now these like a small military bases, they lost the p potential of their air defense, of their situational awareness there. So they actually cannot control this, uh, fully control this sea between the Crimea and Snake Island. And this is huge. And you know that today it was a report about that a few ships with grains already moved out, not because of goodwill of Russia, not because, because in reality, they cannot control like 100% what's going on already there. Plus, uh, we uh, gave the substantial plus to Romania, which was like a completely, completely blocked by Russians. And the new river, which was like a, almost blocked by Russians mining the, the all the entry there. Now it's clear for them and they can make cleaning, they can make the mining and uh, they can start to operate there. So you can uh, can we forecast that this uh, blockade of the Black Sea will be over in a few months or at least partially that partially Ukrainian grain exports will be unblocked? I I do not believe in any uh, r uh, results of international efforts of like a, um, I don't know controlling or safeguarding or something like this accompanying this ship because it cannot provide one one hundred percent capacity which means uh, the crisis won't be overcome, it may be a little bit lighter, and then Russians still will be threatening to, to all of these ships. I think that the only way of uh, like uh, solving the problem with grains, with oils, with everything which we supply, is uh, complete deoccupation of the Black Sea. And deoccupation can be made only the more harm we do to their naval bases and to their infrastructure in Crimea, 
the faster the occupation is coming. And this is the only way. No any other solutions to the situation. So no partial uh, solution like, as you said, that some international ships will be accompanying this... Uh, these grain ships and okay. Uh, if tomorrow this ship will get on mine, so that you, and you won't know whether this really mine or this is subversion of Russians, or uh, it would be a shelling from Russian ships and suddenly they will hit something, or their missiles, as uh, we often see from from the video reports, just coming back because they are not working properly. So there would be like a multiple accidents there. And uh, the uh, companies who, who make an insurance for the such uh, ships, they in some period will ask the questions and you know that this is a huge problem now with like uh, making an insurance. And for example, UK government said that they will do it by themselves, by government, like to insure and to give the floor for some ships to go in there. So I think that it would be very limited capacity and limited capacity is not solving the problem because the problem is really massive and it would be even higher next year and at the end of this year. Uh, I don't believe that it will substantially influence. So th this is some kind of, you know, uh, all these international organizations which were like existing in peaceful times and making view that they are productive, uh, now under this high spot, high light spot of the war, happen to be not productive, not clear why everyone is paying the money. So they try to find out some ways of demonstrating the effectiveness. And this is more uh, like... Um, interface than reality what they do let's come back to weapons and uh, talk about the russian side uh, russians are saying that uh, you've heard this phrase that we haven't even just even begun so this was a clear threat that they have much more capacity to attack ukraine we see every day unfortunately the rocket missile strikes against ukrainian civilian targets and uh, after each of these missile strikes there are dozens of, of civilians dead and this is the reality in which we are living for uh, for for already almost half a year. Is there is there any way to kind of uh, to weaken Russian capacity in this way, or what can they do more in terms of missiles? Because one of the hypotheses is that they run out of the high precision missiles. They are just using very old missiles from the 60s, 50s. On the one hand, it is maybe good, but on the other hand, it means that if they are targeting a military object, they will hit the civilians. Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, you, you never can know the uh, exact number of missiles someone has because it's always like a closed information. Of course, based, based on some open sources, some announcement, we made the some kind of evaluation of the storage on different type of missiles and they yes they have a lot i mean that a lot of missiles and we even didn't come to i don't know like a 20 percent in accordance to our evaluation uh, so the war of missile strikes will be for a long period and you're absolutely right that based on the what we see, they started to use very uh, rare, the like uh, advanced missiles and more precise missiles, probably because they don't have it so much, but they will use all others. And yes, they will hit the civilian infrastructure. That is why coming back to the supplies, one of the biggest priorities is air defense, because air defense is not only uh, 
for war purposes, let's say so, uh, we need to start to somehow to rise up the economy, to start operations. And you cannot restore, uh, for example, big plants or, um, I don't know, fuel stations or uh, oil fabrics without having the normal air defense over them because next day they will be hitting again, uh, hitted again by, by Russian missiles. So to restore the economy, to start some kind of even restoration of the territory, which is not under the occupation, we need air defense like as urgent as possible. And that's quite a difficult task because air defense, this is very expensive and very like a long uh, period production stuff. And uh, we need somehow to, um, with our partners, to, to invent the system in which at least we can cover, cover the most principal sites and then increase and increase the capabilities. Uh, for us, it's important because, unfortunately, I think that Russian will continue missile attack for a long period. We can say about the uh, um, more optimistic prognosis about the land operation, yes, but missiles still will be coming. There was an idea expressed uh, at the initial stages of the war, of this of this second war, that, okay, uh, we cannot uh, close the sky over the whole Ukraine, but we can uh, close the sky over parts of Ukraine, like Western Ukraine, make a safety zone. Uh, is this realistic? From my opinion, no. Because what does it mean to close the sky? It's to have the air defense. What kind of air defense you can have if we're saying about not supply of air defense system to us, but uh, participation of the partners. You need to enter the war. yeah. Because your jet or your air defense system staying somewhere, I don't know, located somewhere in Poland should make a launch of the air defense uh, missile and hit the Russian, for example, missile. And this means participation in the war. What Belarus is making? Belarus all the time claiming that they are not in war, but they are because they, we have the launch of missiles from their territory and officially, legally, they are at war with us. Uh, the same situation will would be with any Western countries or uh, other country which will decide to close the sky. And it means that they all with their jets, all with their air defense system located in their territory should enter the war. It means that this country enters the war. But and why, can, why can they supply these air defense systems to Ukraine? Because then it operates from Ukraine and this is Ukrainian air defense system. This is our so and then it can operate but again uh, saying about the why they cannot supply immediately yes because there is limited no one you know was keeping the air defense system on the storage like we have 100 pieces no never because it's very expensive it's usually done specifically for the country with its specifics with its coverage with its landscape with its systems with uh, which are using their starting from electronic and uh, all the other so that's like a very uh, specific uh, uh, equipment which is produced and now we need to grab somewhere existing one and those countries they do understand that they will make their uh, protection and uh, deterrence weaker and they are also like a little bit nervous about it and you've heard like a last discussions probably of Slovenia who was Slovenia yes I believe so who was saying that we are ready to give the jets 
if Czech and Poland will guarantee that they will they will cover with their jets our territory. That is one of the options, yes. If you have the capabilities of the countries uh, nearby to cover your territory with their weapons and you're in one alliance like NATO, for example, that you can do it or you have a bilateral relations when you said that, yes, you have some kind of military alliance between these two countries, that's possible variant. But then you need to find the options and that's quite quite not easy uh, issue. Germany, lots, they said that they will give, yes, uh, they, they are defense system. But again, as soon as I've heard, they faced with the problem because the production company said, we have a list for a few years. So all we put Ukraine at the end of this line and it will be in a few years. Or if you want to put them now, you need just like a two move all the line and then you need to negotiate with all commercial partners which are uh, have this uh, orders posted with other countries and they need to agree that there would be a prolongation for them on receiving such system. Is the American land lease, is it a, a, a tool to solve this problem in the mid-term, long-term? Um, what What is land lease? Land lease, this is this um, special regime of uh, approval of the assistance, nothing else. So this is like a easy implication of the uh, financial procedures and uh, um, procedures of coordination of supplies. Nothing more. So there is not about equipment. There is about the way how to finance it and how to make it faster to deliver. Uh, everything we got before we got without land lease with more longer procedures, but we got it. And you see that like a once per week state saying, okay, one, 800 millions plus, uh, 700 millions plus. This is like a for everything what's going on now. Lendlease should start work in September or October uh, when the new financial year will, will operate already. And it will just like a ease the procedure of approval and financing. Uh, but the list of equipment and the uh, like equipment uh, itself, it doesn't influence on it. What about Ukrainian production? Because uh, it's also an illusion to believe that we are waging this war with foreign weapons. The majority of weapons are ours, Ukrainian it weapons? It was ours. It was ours. So now yeah, it's we changing. Well, I don't know about now, but even just like a... Com we had around one month ago, probably maybe a little bit less this like a very clear pause for example in artillery shooting from our side and it was a gap i was saying about that we already didn't have our ammunition and weapons but the westerners was still on the on, on arrival and that was like a very uh, for for everyone who understand this situation it was very nervous period because like a and all the soldiers see this on the front line and everyone understands this, but we need to keep, to hold on and don't, don't make it very publicly because it was a dangerous situation. Uh, but frankly, the, the more war will go on, the less it would be our weapons. So ammunition more. for artillery, which is different in terms of millimeters, and therefore we are shifting to this western Absolutely. type we shifted artillery. we yeah. shifted i think that what everything which is left ours it's just like already peanuts from on the on the level of but uh, does ukraine have plans to produce its own weapons i understand that uh, today it's very difficult because as soon as you launch a capacity 
it will be a target for uh, for a, for a strike. But maybe do something in Poland together with Poles or whatever. Well, Ukraine obviously plans because Ukraine still has very good uh, capabilities in engineering, in in defense industry, and everything like uh, uh, construction of planes, uh, jets, and some weapons. And plus, of course. What Ukraine never had in in its like uh, uh, defense industry, it's normal uh, public-private partnership because uh, for, uh, not everything should be produced with huge uh, you know enterprises. Uh, many things which can be done like a small enterprises like I don't know uh, protection. Uh, drones, which are like a principal, uh, the, the the many many components of the, including even situational awareness, some part of it, yes, including the armed vehicles, it's something which can be done by even small private enterprises, not only like a giant uh, state-owned, and uh, that's first opportunity, yes, for Ukraine to free the market. Let everyone, uh, which actually happening now, but it's not yet visible and legalized. So uh, let Ukraine in private business to jump in because they can be more mobile, more fast, more less bureaucratic, less require money from the government. So they, they will solve all these issues. Uh, the next, of course, still many of our uh, plants uh, like uh, from defense industry, they still working. They still work and they still do produce the missiles and uh, some other components and ammunition and uh, um, vehicles. That's some kind of magic, but but it works. Yeah. So, and the third, uh, of course, this is the time uh, for we so for so long period we've been talking about how to make the reform of the defense industry in Ukraine. Here it is, you know. Now you have all the components, you have nothing behind, you have intellectual property, you can jump into the joint ventures to open the enterprises now in Poland, uh, in some other countries, and then like uh, to re relocate them, for example, afterwards to Ukraine. As I know, such projects are discussed and uh, in, in the field of implementation. So I believe that after this war we will have like a great opportunity because there are some weapons like a Ukrainian weapon, Stugna for example, which everyone is just like a very favorite military. They saying that it's like a, probably the best out of range, even if you compare it to javelins, to and loves. So this is the best for them to use because it's more safe. It's like a give additional benefits. Or Neptune, which showed like a very good uh, result in, and if you will compare the cost of Neptune, for example, and cost of the similar rockets in in somewhere in the Western countries, it's quite different. Or some other, uh, I, I'm absolutely think that everything which is about IT drones and everything, we will just like. Uh, um, overcome many other countries with this. Uh, so I think that we have a big future. Plus, uh, Russia was one of the suppliers of the weapons for the, let's say, countries of developing countries, yes, or African, uh, India, one of the traditional markets. But first of all, uh, they will be exhausted of this, like, uh, weapons and equipment, which is on the storage now. The second, many of their weapons doesn't work properly and everyone saw it. So I, I'm not sure that, for example, India will continue to think and to consider Russia as the key supplier for their armed forces. So there is a huge place for uh, trade 
like a defense trades and that's very important because this is huge market african indian pakistan welcome to new world we can be like a quite substantial supplier there after war maybe my last question so the weapons today i've heard this uh, this um thought from Yuri Butusov, a Ukrainian journalist, military journalist, and he said in one of his recent YouTubes that uh, a drone which is, you know, administered by a, a student with a mobile phone can uh, be a much more uh, much more dangerous weapon than uh, than uh, artillery, which doesn't have doesn't have a precision. So it means that today's war is increasingly intellectual, increasingly involves uh, IT, increasingly involves technology, and Ukraine is good both in aviation construction. We know lots of private companies, and we we did several stories at Ukraine World before these events about just private companies producing small planes. Is there any capacity to produce our own drones or well, this is not only the capacity they are under massive production now <laughs> and everything and not uh, UAV also yes yeah I just discovered that we have like in Kiev very good production of UAV which are ready and which starts from twenty thousand dollars from what I have in Europe for example this starts from one hundred thousand and this is like nothing there so that's like a quite Uh, quite substantial not on the intellectual but already existing productions and uh, that's that's really good and I'm absolutely sure you know I have a, like a mixed feeling about the modern war because everyone was planning modern war but still if you have the ca- countries like Russia with like a multiple storage of uh, quite heavy weapons with uh, without no any intellectual uh, Uh, yes, something inside it and they are massively so it showed that you still need uh, a lot of very old school approaches in this war uh, but to win such war yes you need more precise war because just imagine if we need the same numbers like Russia to, to overcome it that's not possible no one can produce and provide such kind of weapons even if that would be all the collectivist but with less numbers with less figures but more precise more contemporary more modern we can hit and overcome it so in some way yes war of the future obviously will be uh, i would say that the near future it would be a combination because still many countries has uh, if you look at the china for example they also have like a quite substantial number of the weapons which is not so contemporary but they are massive and uh, I think that we should be prepared to overcome classical uh, equipment and weapons with more modern but to have this balance somehow I don't believe in the war where we don't need artillery for the next like a 20 years or something probably later Yeah, but now, but drones, UAVs, and um, uh, the the non-standard approach to everything, situational awareness to the identification to intelligence, it will play more and more. Thank you, thank you, Alina. Uh, we had Alina Fralova, a former deputy defense minister, and uh, now deputy head of board of the Center for Defense Strategies. Thank you for joining this podcast. There was a, a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, website in English about Ukraine. You can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you. Stay with Ukraine.